Go ahead and open your Bibles to, well, we're going to go to two places. 2 Peter chapter 3. And then after that, we'll go to Exodus 33. So we'll kind of bracket the word. While you're going there, I want to um, open up with a testimony that will help me illustrate the message that the Lord has given me to speak to you this morning. Um, before I give you this testimony, I have to tell you that this is my testimony. This is a testimony. I don't give you this testimony to, um, for any other reason but to try to illustrate where we're going with this message this morning. This is not about me. This is all about the Lord God Almighty. And so I don't want it to be taken like I'm boasting because I surely am not. Um, but I have to tell you what happened. So a couple of decades ago, when Marietta and I were living in Colorado, we were what, what is known as uh, corporate road warriors. So what would happen is that we would fly out one week, come back towards the end of the week, usually. Marietta actually traveled more than I did. But it was a brutal life, a lot of flying. And so I was uh, returning home from a meeting that I had in the Chicago area. And as you're doing this road warrior gig, you're kind of always looking for opportunities to get home a little bit early. So I got, to the, I got finished with my meeting, and I got to the airport a little bit early. Praise God, I'm, I'm like, so I go to the, to the ticket counter, and this is back in the day where you could really pretty well jump on a flight. And praise God, there was an earlier flight, a frontier flight, from Denver, I mean, from Chicago Midway back to Denver. And so I call Marietta from my cell phone, and I said, honey, I'll be back a couple hours early. That's awesome, you know, because literally we used to wave to each other on the way. She would be going to the airport. I'd be coming home from the airport, and we'd be talking and waving at each other as we were going and coming. It was brutal. So <laughs> I jumped on this Frontier flight, get to sit in the middle seat because I'm going standby, right? But I'm, I'm a blessed man because I'm going to get home early. So, <laughs> so I get on there, I get on the flight, and I'm actually carrying this very book right here. It says, This We Believe, The Good News of Jesus Christ for the World. And I, I'm going to read it on my way home, and I set it on my knee. So off we leave, going to get home early. Off we take off from uh, Midway Airport, Chicago. We're climbing out, and I'm noticing that the airplane is going kind of up and down. And having been an air traffic controller, I'm kind of thinking, this is, not, this is not really normal. We're going up and down like this. But that's OK. You know, I'm going home early. Praise God. <laughs> so. Uh, so we're climbing out, and the flight attendant is on the PA system, and she goes, welcome aboard, Frontier Airlines flight, blah, blah. We'll be, we'll be climbing out to an altitude of such and such, and telling us about the service on the airplane and what we, we can expect. Not much. You know, I'm sitting between two ladies with my, my book, and I'm listening to this, and as we're climbing out, Boom! We have an explosive decompression of the airline, airliner. So, you know, the, 
the flight attendant is still making her announcement, and about that time, all the masks literally fall down. And it's like, and she continues to make her announcement, and we're all back there in the back going, pardon me, you know, something bad has just happened, and there's masks. So I did actually what I was supposed to do. I'm thinking, well, I helped the lady next to me put her mask on, and then I turned to the other lady, and I helped her put her mask on. And it's a little bit painful when that happens, actually, because of the, of the out pressure change. Um, and I'm kind of watching out the window to see what we're going to do and whether or not we're going to descend quickly. Well, he knows nose is over. The pilot knows is over on this airplane. And I'm thinking, well, listen, if we're going down, I'm, I mean, I am literally thinking this. If we're going down, I'm getting up here in the middle of this airplane, and I am preaching the gospel. I'm taking as many with me as I can. No doubt about it, that's what's going to happen here. So I'm, I'm getting prepared. It's going to be a quick message, I know. <laughs> but I'm not even wearing my mask because I'm getting ready. So um, we uh, begin to descend, and, and very quickly, and I'm listening, and the, finally the pilot comes on the PA, and he says, okay, guys, we've had a problem. <laughs> Pretty obvious. You know, that's a problem. Everybody's wearing a mask. Um, but we're going to return to Chicago Midway. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's good, because if it were a big problem, we would go to O'Hare, where they have long runways, and they could put foam down on the runway, you know, and we'd be in trouble if we were going to O'Hare. So I'm thinking, okay, well, this is going to be all right. So we get back to Chicago Midway, and we land. And um, we finally, we have to wait on the tarmac for a little bit. We finally taxi up to, to uh, a jetway. And um, we're getting ready to get off the airplane. Everybody stands up, and they're, it's, it's pretty pretty rough on the airplane, I'm going to tell you. You know, a lot of people are upset. But it was nothing, nothing. What happened was their pressurization system really failed, and so they pressurized the plane once they recovered at the altitude that we were at. So I don't know if you know what that means, but when we got to the jetway, and they opened up the cabin door, and everybody's lined up. You can imagine, everybody's lined up to get the heck out of here. Um, when they opened the door up, we went to that elevation. So what happened was there was a vapor cloud that came in through the cabin and enveloped the cabin. It looked like smoke. I mean, it was, it was bad. And at the same time, Everybody's ears were just really hurt. A lot of screaming, a lot of chaos, pretty stinking tough. Pretty bad. So, we'll come back to that story in a minute. <laughs> There's more about it. So, 2 Peter 3. So, in the... In the in the Bible, it's interesting to me that 
when Jesus talks about the last days, he talks about the last days in the form of what will happen. So in, he, 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 we see in Matthew 24 and Luke 22, he talks about that there will be earthquakes and famines and pestilences and all kinds of bad stuff going on. And then there's two of the apostles that record the last days in their epistles, Paul and Peter. And it's interesting because in their accounts of the last days, they move away from what will happen physically on the earth, and they actually talk about what will happen to people on the earth. So this is one of those passages. Peter is going into this, and that's, that's what we're going to read. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by, before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers, people that scoff, will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Aren't you glad that God is going to take care of things? He really is. To me, it actually, in these days, it brings me comfort to know that the Lord is going to handle things. He is. Because there's some evil men in the world. Sure is. So I want to pass a few more verses. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it, that is the earth, will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So, Peter, in this epistle, he's kind of transitioning from, hey, things are going to be bad, there's bad people, and, and, and the Lord's going to handle it, and he's going to take care of it completely. And then he says, therefore... How ought you, talking about to the readers of this epistle and to us today, how ought you ought to handle this? How, what should be your response? We'll skip a couple more verses. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, which I think this is really cool that Peter is mentioning one of Paul's epistles. It just goes to show you that the scriptures themselves are self-confirming and divinely inspired. Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, 
which untaught and unstable peoples twist to their own destruction. We got that going on right now. As they do also the rest of the scriptures. Since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace, everyone say, grow in grace. Grow in grace. Amen. And knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to be to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. So what Peter is telling us that, there, that we have a responsibility to react properly in light of what we know is coming, in light of what we know is God's plan. And it's going to be pretty amazing times. And personally, I think we are living in those times today. So this message is to equip each and every one of you and to better prepare you to live in these days. Amen. So why would I pick this scripture? I mean, these are kind of strange scriptures to fit with that testimony. Um, well, I have to tell you, it's all about the people. It's all about the people that I'm going to continue on and, and tell you we were encountered following this traumatic event. Paul writes, and you don't have to turn there, but Paul writes this about the people in 2 Timothy 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So, again, Paul is pointing out that in those days, this is how it's going to look. It's just the same as if Jesus is telling us in the last days you're going to experience famines, earthquakes, pestilences, and all of these various things, wars and rumors of wars. But Paul and Peter are saying in the last days, these are going to be the men and women that you come in contact with. Whoa. And I think we're seeing some of that take place even today, right? So, back to the testimony. The door opens. The vapor cloud comes in. Everybody's ears are damaged. I mean, it's hard to describe what's going on. So we get off this airplane, and we get into the midway concourse there. And brothers and sisters, I have to tell you that it's absolute chaos. It's chaos in there. There's really kind of, people are responding in one of three ways, really, pretty much. I'm generalizing now, so. But I get off this airplane, and I look around. People are either angry as heck. I mean, angry. They're mad. And they are letting everybody around them know that they're mad. 
there is a portion of the people that are so traumatized that they're literally crying and they're a wreck. It's, it's, they're devastated. And then there's a, another portion of people that are kind of, they're kind of paralyzed into inaction. That's, I mean, they just can't seem to do anything. So I get off the airplane. Now I'm going to start talking. This is all glory of God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I get off this airplane, and I look around, and there's nothing happening. Nobody's trying to help anybody. Well, there's a, a pair of twins. They're maybe six or seven years old, twin little girls that are traveling unaccompanied on this airplane. And I go over to them, and I say, and I bend down, and I talk to them for a little bit. And I said, are you guys okay? Yeah. I said, the... Do you, is your mom waiting for you in Denver? Yes. Do you know her number? Yes. So I give them my cell phone. And I say, call your mom. Let them know what's going on. Okay. And I'm looking for some of the gate agents or, or somebody from Frontier to step up and begin to comfort and give some direction to these people that have been through this traumatic experience. And it ain't happening. So I'm going from person to person, and I'm just talking to them, and in some cases, praying with them. It got so bad, and I, I go to the gate agents, and I said, you have to get your act together here. This is not right, what's going on here. These people need some help. And it got so bad, this is literally true, and Marietta will remember this and vouch for it. I, after the little girls got done calling their mom with my cell phone, I got up on the phone, and I called the CEO of Frontier Airlines, straight up. And I got him on the phone, and I said, I am so-and-so, and, and I am in Midway Airport. You guys have had a problem with an airplane, and your people do not know how to handle it. You need to get over here, and you need somebody needs to get into action over here because this is not good. I ran across one of the ladies in a little bit, you know, that was sitting next to me. And this is what she said to me. Again, this is glory to God. She said, I saw your book sitting on your knee. And I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, I knew we were going to be okay because I knew you were praying. Oh. I'm like, well, thank God. <laughs> I sure was praying. But that blessed me. Why is it that I responded that way, you know? Because that's not me for sure. It's, it, it is the Lord. Um, and I got to thinking about it as I was preparing for this message. And here's what the Lord showed me. Some of you have seen this picture before. That's Henri little Greg with my mom. I really like this picture. Um, I think I'm probably... Well, less than two years old in that picture. But so when I was a college-age young man, my mom got multiple sclerosis really, really, really bad. I mean, it was one of those cases where she went from walking to devastated in a wheelchair in less than two weeks, and it was a bad one. 
Um, and I've told this story to you before, but um, my dad couldn't handle it. So he left. Now, I'm out of the house, you know, but I'm a young man trying to live my life and get things going. But mom is sick. Now she's, she's so sick that she's in a nursing home. And she, her care is beyond what we could do at home. And so I had her. I kind of cared for her for about the last eight years of her life. The disease that she had was really, as I said earlier, devastating to the point where um, at the end of her life, her body was bent up to where her legs were behind her. It was just a devastating form of that disease. Um, there were a lot of times that I, we would have to take her to the hospital, and I would spend the night with her in the hospital, and I'd be holding her hand. And, you know, I prayed my guts out for her to be healed. And then I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that there was a time where my prayer direction began to change, and it was like, Lord, you know what's going on here. Can you just take care of this? You know, please. Because I would sit with her. The thing that amazed me through all of this process is I would watch my mom and she never had a down day. I'm like, she always seemed to be full of joy and happy and, and not, I mean, there were maybe a couple of times because she had some pain, but there were a couple of times where she cried out in pain. But other than that, she sailed through this terrible disease that devastated her through the circumstances of her husband leaving her, my dad, um, um, and always had a sense of joy about her. So I would sit there at night in the hospital with her, and I'd be holding her hand a lot of times. True story, straight up. Doesn't have anything to do with me. It's the God. I'd hold her hand, and I'd say, Lord, how is this grace that she is displaying possible. And then I would begin to say, Lord, if it's possible, can I have the same grace that she has? That's, and I would literally ask for this. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I would just say, man, what is going on with her is amazing and supernatural, and it is of God for sure, and I want whatever she's got on board. Can I have that same grace? Can I have that same grace, Lord? Pray it all the time. Hold her hand. Lord, give me the grace that she has. So when I was thinking about how the Lord allowed me to respond in that situation where people were responding badly and I knew what to do, was it me? I think it was the answer to those earlier prayers. You see? Yeah. I think it was, for real. God hears us. And even though I didn't know how to offer up the right prayer or I didn't know how it would manifest, it was manifesting. So cool. 
So, so I'm doing the research for this message that the Lord has given me to give to you today. And I look in Exodus 33, and we'll go there next. So we know that Solomon is a good Bible guy, right? Why? Because he went before the Lord, and he asked for what? And the Lord, this pleased the Lord. This pleased the Lord, and the Lord granted him wisdom, so he became the wisest man that was ever known. <clears throat> but hundreds of years earlier, there's another Bible hero. His name is Moses, and in Exodus 33, there's this remarkable passage. So Moses has just been given his running orders earlier in Exodus 33, and the Lord says, all right, Moses, get up. Here we go. We're going to leave Sinai. We're going to the promised land. And Moses is so taken aback, he starts, he starts having a prayer meeting with God every day. He's going back and forth to the tabernacle, meeting with God, and all the people are watching him go back and forth because he knows that the order that he has just been given, he's going to have to live, lead what the Lord has called, and he has acknowledged, the Lord, you're going to lead these stiff-necked people. So, so Moses, beginning in verse 12, this is funny to me. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. He's looking for some help. He's going to have to lead the stiff-necked people. He knows. I mean, he's just come down off the mountain, you know. They made an idol while he was up there. He's like, oh, God. I'm going to have to deal with the stiff-necked people. You want me to lead them? Who's coming with me? Who's going to help me out? And he says, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Grace. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. Not only is Moses asking for grace, but he is asking for grace. And then, you know what? He's asking for some more grace. That's what he's doing. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, literally in the Hebrew, my face will go with you. And I will give you rest. Then he, Moses, said to him, if your presence or your face doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then, <laughs> so Moses is still reluctant, even though he's getting, you know, the Lord has given him some grace. He's still like, Man, Lord, I need it. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he, Moses, ends up by saying, Lord, Show me your glory. Oh, awesome. This passage is amazing. We see that Moses knows that he's going to 
have to deal with difficult people, and he's like, Lord, give me your grace. And the Lord not only gives him grace, but he equates his grace with his very presence. His grace and his presence are together. And he's promised to Moses because Moses asked for it. So what is God's grace? Well, so for some believing denominations, kind of like the denomination I grew up in, his grace is really a narrow door that is expressed by the manifestation of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's a lot of grace right there. There's no doubt about it, but it's limited to that. So there was grace for salvation and then no more. And this is why, as a little kid, I used to be scared to death because I didn't understand the concept of God's grace because it wasn't preached. The hellfire and the brimstone was preached. And yes, salvation through Jesus Christ, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, so that no man can boast. It is the gift of God. So this is how I grew up, with that narrow door grace. And it was good because salvation through Jesus was preached. Grace as manifest through Jesus. That's right. For other Christians, the concept of God's grace has expanded so widely that it has overtaken them to the point where Jesus doesn't even have to be part of the equation. Way too wide. There's too much grace in that regard. So much grace that we don't even have to worry about sin in some cases. No, brothers and sisters, that's too much. Here's what God's grace is. First of all, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll use the word, God's grace is absolutely amazing. It is. Like we read in Exodus, his grace is his presence. And for the times that we're walking through right now, his grace is our equipping, and his grace is always the answer. His grace is with us. When you're facing difficult circumstances, his grace is the answer. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writing his second epistle to the church at Corinth, and he let me set this up a little bit. He's kind of having to establish his, his credentials as an apostle. So he's telling the Corinthians his testimony, and it's a mighty testimony about being shipwrecked and beat to death, you know, beaten several times, and imprisoned, and this and that. And then he goes on and he says, and 14 years earlier, I know a man, and he talks about the time that he was stoned to death. And he, he got a chance to enter into paradise and see what paradise was like. And then he shifts gears a little bit, beginning in, chapter, in verse 7, he says, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. This is the revelations that he got when he entered into paradise. 
A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. In other words, he is acknowledging that this thorn is something to keep him kind of humble. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So Paul did the exact right thing that he needed to do in regards to this thorn. He went before the Lord and he prayed his guts out. And he said to me, this is Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Everybody say, his grace is sufficient for me. Yes, it is. His grace. Some of you need to say it like this. Let's say it like this. His grace is sufficient for me. That's right. His grace is sufficient for you. The Lord revealed to me that there's a lot of people in here right now that need to understand the sufficiency of God's grace. If you need peace in your life, his grace is sufficient for you. If you need restoration of relationship, his grace is sufficient for you. There are some men in here that have seen some things that they should not have seen. And you know what? They say that you know what is seen cannot be unseen. But his grace is sufficient for you. Some of you in here need to forgive yourself. To forgive yourself. And his grace is sufficient for you to, to do that. Some of you have been praying about something for a long time. You need guidance. You need direction. And you haven't heard from God. And I'm telling you today that the Lord wants to tell you that his grace is sufficient for you right now in this season. Some of you need new revelation or understanding of a circumstance or a situation that you've never faced before. And I want to tell you that his grace is sufficient for you right now. Some of you, and they're more than we would like to acknowledge, um, have taken up offense against somebody else. In some cases, the offense was not yours to take up. In some cases, the party that offended you didn't even know that they offended you. But you just can't let it go. His grace is sufficient for you. Lay it down. His grace is handling it. You need to extend forgiveness to somebody else. His grace is sufficient for you. Brothers and sisters, we need to believe this. We really need to get our heads around it, particularly for this season that we're 
living in now. We're getting ready to step out there into these perilous times, and we're going to face those people that are responding to those perilous times in a way that doesn't make sense. And as we, as we face, as we interact with those people, and, and we're going to need to do like Moses did. We're going to have to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your grace. You need to have his grace on board. He, he's not a God that has a limited supply of anything. So if you need his grace and you need his grace, your grace is not going to be less. It's all the same. He is unlimited in terms of grace and he's willing to give it to you. He doesn't hold back his grace from any of us that ask for it. And you know what? It's biblical for us to ask for his grace. Yes, it is. It absolutely is biblical for us to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your grace. We saw Moses do it, and just like Moses did it, we can do it as well. Verse 4 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is the source of all grace. It's biblical for us to go before him and ask him for grace. He want, that's a good thing. And there is the time coming, if not, it is not already here, that we need his grace. So what I would ask you to do is before you need it, before you need it, let's ask him for it. Simple as that. His grace allowed us to step into forgiveness. His grace got us to a point where we were literally adopted into his family. And even beyond that, his grace allows us to be accepted before the Lord God Almighty day in and day out. But what I want to do is I want to just go to each one of you that wants grace. And I'm just going to line up in front of you. You're going to ask the Lord for grace. And then I'm going to just convey that. Very simply. Very simply. Not a big deal. But if you need his grace, you want to ask for his grace before, before you need it, now's a good time to get it. Yeah. It's a good time to get it. He's a good God. You know? And if you come forward and, you know, maybe this is the first time that you ever know that, knew that his grace was, was really the gospel. And that his grace was the thing that caused him to send his son Jesus for you. Come on up. We'll, uh, we'll take care of that as well. So all I would do, I'm going to ask you if you know that you need his grace. We're going to do this very quickly while the 
while the worship team is playing this song. vessels of grace in a world that needs it. Amen.